0: The Woj Pod is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead, Goodyear, more driven. Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of The Woj Pod. This is a post-bubble edition for me. I have broken free from that sweltering Central Florida heat, uh, enjoying some kind of the cool breeze of autumn here in the Northeast, uh, which has been Pretty awesome here since Sunday, but still sweating in that uh, Florida heat is Bobby Marks, our ESPN's front office insider. And Bobby, how are you? Uh, how are things in in Florida? I was there so long, I was getting every day these like, hey, have you registered to vote in the state of Florida um, alerts on my Instagram, Facebook, everywhere, but I, uh, I did not register to vote in Florida, unlike you, who I know is registered and is voting.
1: Well, you were there so long that you probably don't have to pay. You don't have to pay taxes, right? State taxes? There's no state taxes in the state of Florida, so um, that's one of the perks we've got down here.
0: Yeah, that's one of the many perks. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> gladly, I'm gonna <laughs> gladly pay my taxes in Jersey, and I'm gonna put a sweatshirt on to go outside and, and feel pretty good. About that. Uh, Speaking of another, Bobby, uh, it's kind of a central Florida resident uh, in his off time. Billy Donovan, uh, the new coach of the Chicago Bulls, Uh, Bulls hired him yesterday. Uh, What was your reaction to that hire, Bobby, the fit there? And now, you know, really kind of the new leadership structure in Chicago, Arturis Karnishevis is president. Um or executive vice president is the title. Uh Mark Eversley is GM and now Billy Donovan, after five years in OKC and a couple national titles at Florida, takes over the Bulls.
1: Well, I thought it was the perfect fit. I uh, I really did. Uh, you look at Billy's track record, um, the five years in Oklahoma City, the the fewest wins was this year, which was 44 and now is in a shortened season in in 72. Uh In 72 games, they've been to the playoffs every year. Uh, I know people will glance at losing in the first round, but I think his best work was this year. Um, Post-Paul George, uh, post-Russell Westbrook, had a kind of in-between team in Oklahoma City with a veteran in Chris Paul. You don't get that in Chicago, right? So Chris Paul is not in Chicago with him. Um, But you had a lot of player development with Shea Gildress Alexander, Lou Dort. And then you can kind of go back to when he was at Florida. I mean, he's, he's a proven, um, he's got a proven track record. Uh, The roster in Chicago is interesting. We've talked about it. We actually talked about it before the, during the pandemic, before the, um, they even made a coaching change where with a mix of young players with Wendell Carter and Kobe White, um, you know, Lori Markkinen, um, that's player development focus. And then Zach Levine, um, who's kind of a borderline all-star and, and I think the big thing, Woj, is that you've got the support with with our tours, Um, Having worked in Denver with Tim Conley, uh, the hiring of Mike Malone there, um, how they built that roster, and I think I think there's going to be a trust level there. So I, I think it's a good hire. It's kind of one of those teams that will be fighting to try to get into that back end of the uh, in the playoffs next year.
0: Yeah, it's. I, I think. Listen, certain coaches in certain situations based on what they need and not every coach is right for every situation. I'm not sure Billy would have been the right guy in Philly. I don't know if that's, um, what might have even appealed to him, but Chicago, they've had a run of assistant coaches. Uh, Tom Thibodeau was an assistant coach before he took over, obviously had a lot of success there. Um, but you know, either, uh, had guys who hadn't coached at all in Vinny Del Negro, uh, Fred Hoyberg, who knew the NBA very well, but had been a college head coach. Jim Boylan, again, another NBA assistant. I, I think Billy, for what they need and his ability to build relationships with players, which I think is going to be important there, build a trust and but but still coach them hard. Um, I I think he's perfect. I agree with you. I think he was the perfect hire for them. Uh, I think for him to be it is a rebuild, but there are some pieces in place. I think this is a team that underachieved. We'd all agree with that. Uh, Lori Markkinen, I think he needs someone to come in and uh, I think kind of rebuild his confidence a little bit and, and, you know, show some belief in him. And Zach Levine needs some stability. He needs a head coach to come in who's going to be there and 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 make him feel like, like we're in this together. And I, there's no reason this can't be a playoff team as soon as next year. And and then this is a team that will have cap space in the future. And listen, we've seen Chicago should be in the conversation with the L.A. teams, with the New York teams, when there's a big free agent. Uh, like, they're not going to be in the – listen, I don't think Anthony Davis is leaving the Lakers to go to the Bulls. But, you know, Anthony Davis, when he was looking to leave New Orleans, you know, Chicago was in such a state of – Disrepair—it wasn't an option for them. And I think if you're the Bulls, you want to have in place an organization that, when the next Anthony Davis comes, the next kid who grew up in Chicago, or the next star anywhere, it'd say, "Hey, that's like the Bulls—like that's an organization that I've got some belief in, that has the right people in place and guys I'd want to play for, and a front office with a track record." And um, you know, I think look at our tourists right now. If Chicago hadn't hired Arturis um when they did before this playoff run, think of how in demand that Arturis would be out in the marketplace right now as an executive, given what, what he helped Tim Connolly do uh, in Denver, putting that team together. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, it, it's a really good hire for them, a good fit. And, and I know that Arturis and Billy, who didn't really know each other, uh, they had a couple common friends, uh, one Sean Ford at USA basketball and who was close with both and had worked with both. And I think there was a, a trust built pretty quickly between them. And I know that went a long way for Donovan, uh, to go work for a, GIA a a president that, that he did not have a relationship with. And, um, I think our tourists made it pretty clear to Billy right away. Hey, you're the guy we really want to try to, get a deal done with, move forward with and 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 Casey Johnson wrote about this uh, in Chicago and he's exactly right that the money that they've laid out in Chicago listen Billy Donovan, um, I don't have the exact numbers of this deal but but it is more I believe it's more than the bulls have paid for a coach. Since Phil Jackson, I guess. I don't know. Actually, maybe salaries weren't as high then. I don't know if Phil made it in his last year. But in terms of this modern era, multi year deal, I think the question around the league was Bobby, would the Bulls pay? They paid for a new president, they paid for a new GM. They're paying for guys who, who aren't working there anymore. And I think the fact that they went out and uh, paid a market value for Billy Donovan says something about maybe a renewed commitment there to, to do what it takes to. To build a successful, sustainable organization.
1: Well, and and this is not a year ago when revenue was flowing through, right? I mean, that was that was the big thing, coach, that we had, we had talked about is that would teams, you know, um, let coaches go, eat money uh, with this pandemic going on. We don't know when fans are going to be back in the in the in the building. Hopefully, sometime um, ne- next season. But I, I look at it with. Our as the you know, as the president and the head of basketball operations, and he has plenty of experience working with Tim Connolly in Denver. That this will help our tourists, That you have an experienced coach who has been in many big games. Um, there, it's not. It's a little bit different than when you hire maybe an assistant coach or a former player, where you got to kind of hold his hand a little bit in the yeah. beginning. And there's and there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody has to go through that process. But just like the little things, like when you're planning the team travel, right? Like Billy Donovan's done it for like four or five right. years where it's, it's, there's such a newness. Um, there's a newness for them. And and you're right. As far as, um, I mean, they've, they've committed a lot of money. Um, you know, Billy Donovan wasn't coming off a year in Oklahoma city where he was let go and Oklahoma city was still paying him. Right. He's sliding right. in there um, on a new contract with our tourists, with, um, with Mark Eversley. And um, it's, it's interesting. And we'll talk about some other teams, but, We've seen a, we have a lot of coaches openings here, and there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to have to pay some pretty good money to get some of some of these uh, some of these coaches.
0: Yeah, and that's going to be the question: uh, big market versus small market. With again, with no revenue coming in, with teams not knowing when they're going to get fans back in buildings. Uh, Adam Silver said yesterday that uh, to to CNN that he expected no no earlier than a January start. I think it could be much later than that, or not maybe much later, but February, March, potentially. I think the NBA is willing to push it back. If they see an ability to be able to get fans in arenas and it means pushing it back, they'll do it. If it looks like it's not going to make any difference and it's not going to be any better or uh, it's not going to be any more accessible to let fans in in a month or two months, then you just start it in January. There's no reason to keep delaying it. But that's going to impact the revenue. So Indiana doing a coaching search small market team that gets anywhere from what is it bobby maybe 25 million 28 million in revenue sharing whatever the number might be in that ballpark uh, they're doing a search new orleans small market doing a search what is it how does it impact what they might be able to pay uh, and then you got philadelphia which you know they've shown a willingness to spend regardless um, you know that job right now and you know i had reported it when mike diantoni left houston mike d'antoni is in a strong position there uh ty Lu is, is in a good position there there that's a candidate they're they're still talking to um and so you know those are coaches who uh you know in that you know whether that's i don't know what that looks like for their head coaches six million is it seven million is it start at five and a half in a pandemic and then move up um but but Mike D'Antoni in Philly, though, Bobby, you, you're trying to imagine how they play with his style, with Joel Embiid, with Ben Simmons. I'm I'm curious your thought about the fit and and how he plays, how that how that meshes with the roster.
1: Well, the the fit is interesting because you're going from one extreme to the other. <laughs> you're going from Houston, where you had Robert Covington playing center and PJ Tucker as your four. Uh, and, and you know, in and a, and a, and a small ball lineup, to the traditional '90s basketball, right, with Embiid and Horford and Tobias Harris, um, you know, certainly with Ben Ben Simmons there. Um, I don't know how that fits, Woj. I mean, and, and some of those pieces are are not are not going to be moved uh, easily moved out. It's not that like you can move out Horford. Um, or Tobias Harris and then, you know, you know, get a six, eight wing. I mean, that's, right. that's not happening, but from a credibility standpoint, um, and he has, he has been there, right. He was there in his high the year, yeah. that, so there's a familiarity as far as with that ownership group, um, what some of those, some of those pieces on that team, um, there is that, that has, you know, from an experience standpoint that works, but. Um, but as you, as we've said, like this this roster, when you look at the Eastern Conference with Milwaukee and Toronto, Boston, Philly, Brooklyn, right? I mean, we could probably say Philly is sixth in pecking order potentially there. Um, so it's almost like Mike is going to have to change to fit what he he would be inheriting there.
0: Yeah. So those conversations are ongoing in Philly. They haven't made an offer uh, to anybody, um, and so. You know, the other openings, New Orleans, I uh, mentioned Indiana, Oklahoma City, think they'll take their time. I think especially teams, like, there's no rush, like, let, let's be honest, there's no rush to start paying somebody in these markets. Like, the season may not start until January, February, training camp may not come until December. There's not a rush to hire somebody and get them on the payroll and then get a bunch of assists. except – you not want to lose out on a candidate. You want to make sure you can get some assistance that you want. But I don't think any of these teams. Indiana's narrowing it down to like five candidates, and they'll start maybe bringing some people in for interviews or doing another round virtually, whatever it's going to be. And they're just narrowing it down. Those conversations won't be until next week, you know. And that's you know among that list, you know, we reported Dave Yeager, uh, Chauncey Billups, you know, are among a bunch of candidates uh, still in Indiana. You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes. Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa birds, old timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call one 800 Directv or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. You mentioned earlier, Bobby, the Nuggets and our tourists and what Denver did last night to cut that series to 2-1. I, having been in the bubble and having been around that Denver team, what I'm most amazed at is, especially in that environment there, and I think we all thought this going in, and it, I never felt it was the case, and I give guys a lot of credit for this. I thought when teams were on the ropes, it would be easy to just let go, and it would be easy to say, okay, we made a decent run here, but we can get out of here. And they didn't do it in the first round against the Jazz. Now, once they got Michael Porter playing well in that first round, you felt like they had maybe one more weapon than Utah did. That's how I felt. Once once Michael Porter had established himself there, you go, geez, if Utah had Bogdanovich, you'd feel differently about it. 20-point score. But against the Clippers down three, one and then down double digits in five, six, seven, you go that every chance to say, okay, we've had a great run here. We're not supposed to beat these guys. Let's go. And it's to the credit of that organization that it did not happen. And, um, and obviously this Laker team, I I thought maybe that game two might've broken their spirit a little bit. And yet they come out, get a big lead in game three last night. And uh, I don't know that they're going to win this series, but, uh, it's it's been pretty remarkable to see the resiliency and the growth. Uh, just imagining this Denver team coming back next year, and Jamal Murray is, I think, a transformed player. I don't know. We all thought he, he had a chance to be very good, but he's become a star. He's become a star in the league, and uh, you do that in the postseason, and he has done it. He's done it in a big way.
1: Well, and I, and I think the resiliency in Game 3, there's not that many teams that – would have given up a buzzer beater and a game two loss, and then up eighteen going into the fourth quarter, and basically a tsunami all of a sudden hits you. Right as far as that lead be, was from went from eighteen to three in a matter of minutes. Um, as far as turning the ball over, uh, how they adjust the, the lack of adjusting to the zone. Um, you're right. I mean, Jamal Murray, and I was asked, uh, I talked to the team earlier about it. And they said, "Do you, you think Jamal Murray is, is this who he is? Like now, is this the bubble, you know, because he's playing every day. It's like, you know, it's funny. I was watching golf. I mean, I'm jumping off here. And they said like, you know, we've all these young golfers, right. Who are kind of emerging and they're saying like, it's because there's nobody in the stand. There's just nobody like cheering them on. There's nobody. They can just play. I don't know if that's the case with, with Jamal, but he has turned into a star and he had two big shots in, um, you know, in, in the game three, win. Um, but that team is resilient. Um, we've counted them out multiple times. Um, you know, certainly after they lost in Game Two. Um, the, when you have two foundation players in uh, Jokic and, and Murray, it's it, you can just build around that. It makes it a more appealing. Um, you always have to have that third X factor. We got it. They got it in Jeremy Grant in Game Three, who played really well both ends of the court. Um, Monty Morris, you know, the guys they draft in that second round, Monty Morris was pick fifty-one, signed yeah. as a two way in his first year. Um, you know, has a non-guaranteed contract in 2020. I mean, come on. Right. All right. Like that's what you need when you when you have guys committed to, you know, 29000000 dollars, um, you know, Millsap, uh, Jokic, like you need those Michael Porter yeah. Jr. making three, four million dollars, and Monty Morris is uh, you know Jeremy Grant's making nine million, um, and there's a foundation going into next year. I mean they'll have. Uh, it's funny. Well, I've been sitting on this Denver article for about about three months. They're off season <laughs> article. At, you're <laughs> end of the
0: season, yeah, yeah. You're.
1: And it's, it's August 13th. Right. I've been sitting on it, and and the one big thing is really it's, it's they've got to figure out their bigs, right? You've got Plumlee, you've got Millsap, you've potentially you're probably Jeremy Grant as your free agent. Torrey Craig's restricted free agents. and you know, who comes back out of that group, maybe everybody comes back and you kind of give it another run because as you know, um, this free agency period is going to be a little bit of a slow, uh, slow crawl here.
0: Is Denver Bobby, is Denver a team? I hate doing this already to them, but is Denver a team that the, really the composition of that roster and what they can do, how much of it is going to be dictated by where that cap salary cap falls for next year? Um, if it's a team that maybe doesn't say, Hey, we're just going to go, I, I don't know that they'll go deep in the tax right away this year. I don't know that they won't, but, but, but how how do you imagine where that cap falls impacting what Tim Connolly may or may not have to do with that,
1: that well, roster? Well, how I look at it, if, if the, if the luxury tax stays at 132 million, which is the same as this, uh, 2019, 20, they've got about 32 million. To divide amongst four, four of their free agents, I mean they're going to have to choose as far as Tory Craig, we, you know Jeremy Grant, it probably deserves more than what he is earning <laughs> at nine three right now. Um, he's probably a $12 million guy, but is there, you know, I mean, but then it's like, well, who else, who out there is going to pay that? Right.
0: Like, yeah. You yeah. Know, and, Paul, and Paul Millsap, Paul Millsap's not making 30 million plus. No, and anywhere. Mason,
1: and Mason's yeah. not making 10 million plus. So, right. you know, I think, I think uh, Grant is the priority and then it kind of falls in and, and well, was like, we haven't even talked about Will Barton. Like Will yeah. Barton is not even in there. He got averaged 16, 17 points this year. And, you know, and, and started for them in a lot of games here. So, you're right. I mean, Denver has never really jumped into the luxury tax. Um, you know, I think during the Carmelo era, um, they they did for a little bit. I think maybe two years, um, but I don't. I don't see them being a tax team, and I think they'll use that pool of money to kind of prioritize who their free agents are going to be.
0: Yeah, I, I think the the Nuggets are a great example of of, of patience and you know, Josh Kroenke allowing. Tim Connelly, you know, I had Tim on the podcast last week, and he talked about early on in Denver and feeling like he made a couple missteps early and, and, and that like, what you're going to do sometimes when you are taking over a team and you're starting, starting out in it. And that Josh Crank, he just allowed him to keep growing. He, he believed he had something in Tim and, and Tim and, and our tourists and, you know, allowing those guys to grow in the job. And then they started hitting on picks and they really hit on picks and, you know, getting Jokic in the second round changed everything for them. Uh, you forget Yusuf Nurkic was the same draft as Jokic. And uh, I think he was, Nurkic was maybe 16th or 17th overall. Well, that, yeah, draft, they, that was a really good pick for where he was.
1: Well, and they, and they took, uh, I think they were at 11 and they went, um, they moved back. They, they moved to uh, they got fifteen and nineteen from Chicago. Chicago big, Doug McDermott, and, and Denver wind up taking Gary Harris. And Gary Nerf. Harris, and then yeah, I mean that's right. That's that's what those are the type of, you know, those are the type of deals. And then the Emmanuel Mudiay pick doesn't look as you know. I mean, like right. hey, that kind yeah. of hey, you get hey, everybody has one or two, but if you yeah. can hit on three or four of these guys and a guy in a second round, get an uh, an undrafted guy like Tory Craig, like you start to yeah, kind of is- you you know you're. Your um your budget that you have that's kind of what you can yeah. afford.
0: Yeah, and then obviously Michael Porter Jr. has a chance to be really, really, really good. And you knew he was good before, it wasn't? It was never a question of talent with him. And so you've seen his emergence in the bubble. And Bo Bol, who looks like there's a role in the NBA for Bo Bowl. He played in the seeding games. He's not going to play or hasn't played in the playoffs. But you can see some. Uh, another second round pick, pick they bought on draft night uh, from Miami in the forties that like, like Bobo has uh, like Michael Porter. This was a guy who was a top five pick before his freshman year of college. And so th- they've done, um, yeah, they've done a great job. They've been obviously the team, uh, the story of the bubble in a lot of ways. And, you know, if, if the Lakers go on to win a title or whomever wins a title that it'll be remembered for that, but certainly Denver, And it leads me to this, Bobby. There was a lot of talk maybe even a month ago, six weeks ago, about starting next year in a bubble that, hey, we have to be open to the idea. And the further we were in that bubble and went along, the more and more I got a sense and I think others got a sense that I think everybody in the league wants to do everything they can to not go back to it. Not just from – Everybody's going stir crazy, and and it's not normal. And but I think the owner's appetite, understandably, and the players' appetite to have to to get the revenue streams back, to get fans back in arenas. Like it, financially, it's scary to have the fans out for this long. But you also don't want fans out so long that they just like you. Just don't assume everybody's going to come flooding back. They find people find other things to do in this world, in uh, whatever whatever all the entertainment options there are and you don't want people out of nba buildings for so long they just it's not a habit anymore and you you don't get everybody back and so i, I the more and more time goes on here the greater sense i've gotten from around the league the union players uh, owners certainly that boy they're going to do everything they can to in some shape or form have fans in arenas next year, even if that means it's socially distanced, you're not going to, we're seeing it in football in some places. Um, but, but I don't, I just don't, I don't think they've ruled the bubble out, but, but it certainly is. It's, it's kind of the last thing anybody really wants to do right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the NFL model and there's not everyone, every team doing it down here in Miami, you know, the Dolphins have, you know, 25% capacity, Hey, 25% capacity is better than 0% capacity where you can have fans coming in. You're sitting in certain areas you have, you know, you can enter the building between seven o'clock and seven to 10 for a day, Right. That's how you, you're, you have assigned times when you are supposed to enter um, the arena here. And I think that's, I think when the commissioner uh, talked on, you know, CNN, when he, when he did that um, Q and A was that like, as you said earlier, they're going to, put this out as long as we can if it's late January and we start on Martin Luther King Day or maybe we start in February here um, that there's not going to be a rush to get this thing going um, you know mid-December here I don't I don't think that's you know that's not realistic
0: no and and I think they're looking really closely at the NFL the NBA is really watching the NFL, college football a little bit, it's it's still a little different. But the NFL and what it means to have people in the stands, how it's working in suites, because obviously that's where you can put fewer people and get obviously more money are in the suites. And teams like Golden State who make, I think Golden State on average makes the most of any team in the league based on uh, uh, like one game night of tickets and uh sweet sweet sales and retail and all the things that go into somebody going to an nba game and you know the trickle down is is significant because whether it's the lakers the clippers the nets the golden state the Chicago, the, the big market teams pay out revenue sharing to the small market teams and those checks could be a, we mentioned earlier 20 million plus near 30 million in some cases and Without those revenue sharing checks for the small market teams, how competitive of a roster can te- will teams put together? Are are you going to see a bunch of teams go down to the to the floor of the minimum they can have for payroll? And so, how this plays out and what the I think what the projections are going to be for next year I think are going to really impact teams when we get to free agency and and obviously the draft prior to that when teams can make trades and and start altering the rosters.
1: Yeah. I mean, a year ago we would have said that a team like Indiana um, would probably use their full mid-level exception in free agency where probably that might not be the case now where uh, money committed where, or you could say um, a team like Charlotte that has, you know, 20, $25 million in cap space, they're probably not going to use all that money. You know, there's no incentive unless they can maybe find a good player to, to go out and uh, and spend because, as you said, the revenue is not coming in. Teams like Atlanta, that's got forty million plus in cap space potentially. You know, you go out and spend thirty million dollars on two players. Well, you're not having thirty million dollars in revenue coming back into and in to take care of it. And that's where I think that's where you're going to see, and we'll see in the next couple, you know, month here, a couple weeks. You know, a lot of. Guys starting to opt into their contracts. We're gonna have a lot of free agents here. The, the probably the Mar DeRozans of the world, uh, guys like that. The Gordon Hayward when they're eventually done. Um, maybe players that would have been a free agent um, a, a year ago. And it it just it ties things up where you have you know your tax pit teams. Then you've got a lot of teams with exceptions where. I think teams will be a little bit more conservative. That doesn't mean that you know Brooklyn won't um, doesn't make Joe Harris a priority. I think Sean, Sean Marks has already said that he is a priority. And I think with that ownership group, that there is an appetite to pay the luxury tax because yeah. you've already committed to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, right? You've kind of already jumped into the deep end with that.
0: Yeah, and it'll be interesting to watch, Bobby, teams who have cap space, even some of the smaller market teams, they're not going to get – not going to improve their team at free agency you're going to see it perhaps in salary dumps where there's some very good players who teams you know teams got three of them and we can only keep two of them and we're going to move one out and so whether it's a memphis a new orleans an atlanta uh, a cleveland whoever are those going to be teams that try to get aggressive when hey we can take on that salary, and you got to give us a pick or whatever it's going to be, another asset with it. And so um, that'll be, I think, how free agency looks. It'll be more – I don't know if it's – like you said, you have free agents, but most guys – the guys who are going to be free agents are free agents. But the guys who can opt out of their deals are probably good in almost all cases uh, going to opt opt back in.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've got 41, 41 players that have a player option. We're probably looking at – 37 that are going to opt in, (laughs) you know, maybe guys like Austin rivers, who's on a minimum, you know, there's no danger as far as going back into um, into free agency to do that. I think the transaction game and you hit Memphis was a a, a great point because that they did that last year. They did that with Andre Iguodala. They did that when they did the Mike Conley trade um, parlayed those two things um, into, into, uh, into two future first round picks.
0: Well, free agency will be here soon enough. Actually, we don't have a date yet on free agency. We know the draft is November 18th. Free agency will be after it. Uh, They still haven't negotiated a date for that with the union. It could be, you know, they could do it like they normally do a few days after the draft, or actually normally it's like a week, eight days. But with Thanksgiving there, I do wonder if maybe with Thanksgiving right there and the fact that the season is probably not going to, start until at least maybe mid to late January, the earliest, you could see a scenario where free agency starts like hypothetically, December 1, um, get past the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, and you don't have to worry about free agency being right up against the startup training camp. So we'll see where that date is. But Bobby, always great to catch up and visit. Um, I'm sure we will talk uh, talk again soon, man.
1: Thanks, Woj. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woge Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, ESPN's front office insider, Bobby Marks. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woge Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the Low Post with Zach Lowe and the Hoop Collective with Brian Winterst. We'll catch you next time.